I've, I've got, uh, they're going to reset the clock for me, but I've got a few minutes, and I, I want us to get into the book of Romans today. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite books. Paul is about to speak to everybody. If you're a Jew, he's going to talk to you today. If you're a Gentile, he's going to talk to you today. Um, if you're a reptile, he's got something for you. Like, there's, there's, there's no one that's going to be escaping. Like, ah, oh, that doesn't apply to me. The book of Romans, if you take John chapter 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his son, whoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. That is the gospel in really its, its finest, minute, micro form. The entire book of Romans is the gospel in macro form. He's going to take every thought, every principle. He's going to unpack it for us. He's going to make us good and lost before he gets us good and found. He's going to tell us we're not just tolerated, we're celebrated by a holy God. If you don't know who you are, if you're struggling with identity, if you're struggling with Christianity, if you're struggling with, with who you are and your faith, I encourage you, read the book of Romans. Read the first three chapters, even though it's bad news, because after bad news, good news looks that much better. Amen. So Paul's going to talk to everybody. Let's start with Romans 1. The first contention of Romans 1 is this. The existence of God is plain, and there's just absolutely no acceptable excuse for not acknowledging him. And he says it this way. Is that me? He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people, and this, these are people that are a certain type of person, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They're holding it down, holding it back, saying it's wrong, lying about it, all that kind of stuff. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Now listen, Paul's saying from the very beginning, if there is a God, and he believes there is, and I believe there is, it, he's not hiding anywhere. There really is evidence, fingerprints, fragrances. Like, even though our eyes can't see God, we can see everything that God has done. And he says, he makes it plain to them. How? He says, for since the creation, everybody say creation. Since so the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, the stuff about him we can't see is found in the stuff we can see. Stuff like his eternal, uh, his eternal power, his divine nature. These things have been clearly seen and they've been understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, uh, Michael Behe wrote a book. It's real heady. It's real complex. A lot of long Latin words. He's a microbiologist, so it's actually a molecular biologist. And it's called Darwin's Black Box. It was something that, that really unlocked some things for me. If you're a reader and you like deep scientific stuff, if you're a Big Bang Theory guy, you'll like this, okay? If you're a Sheldon type, you'll, you'll love this. And Behe, B-E-H-E, Michael Behe wrote, and he, and he coined the phrase irreducibly complex, that life as we know it, particularly not just at a cellular level, but at a molecular level, is irreducibly complex. And so I'm not here today to try to disprove evolution or try to prove creation. I, I will tell you honestly, as a former atheist and evolutionist, um, I, once I opened my eyes to some other thoughts, once I got deeper, once I stopped looking at the, the bottom line of my taxes that I wanted to see and actually worked the math, I've arrived at very different conclusions using empirical scientific methodology that I embraced my entire life as an atheist, but now I, I've turned it around. Like My whole mind has been changed about how this world got here, who made it, and this is simply why. I see the brilliance of creation. And if you look at life at a cellular level, a molecular level, a human level, if you begin to explore that 100 million different optic nerves that are in a baby's eye at conception, and, and that there's a, a 100 million corresponding, not, not random, corresponding specific A has to meet A, B has to meet B, uh, optic nerves that, that it will join to the brain, and then you take photonic or light energy and turn it into electrical impulses that hit a brain a certain way, that create a color, that show a reality, so that consciousness, memory, emotion. How many guys understand that's a little bit tough to evolve by taking a bag of rocks and shaking it for a while? And, and so I, I have lost faith in evolution. I see microevolution everywhere because I have a bulldog, and there is no other explanation for that. That animal cannot exist except people messed with it. 
because it cannot reach 80% of its own body. I have done things for that dog I would not do for my own mother. Can I get a witness? I, I see poodles and I see um, hamsters and I see absolutely no difference. But there is evidently a, a, a poodle is a hamster with a perm. Um, but if we were to take today and just being intellectually honest in just a two-minute exercise, we find ourselves on Mars with the rover Curiosity. And as the rover Curiosity comes across the next hill, it comes across something that is clearly seen to be a mousetrap. It, it's, it's a base it's a spring, it's, a, it's a, a hammer that's pulled back, and it's a trigger or a scandal on, and let's just for sake of argument, we put a piece of cheese on it. And, and I want you to be intellectually honest, okay? If you saw that in the newspaper, what would the headline be above it? Would it be, mousetrap spontaneously emerges from lifeless matter over billions of years? Or would it be, I think we found signs of intelligent life on Mars? Now, you be honest, which does it say? Because a basic five mechanism, a base... A spring, a hammer, a trigger, and a piece of cheese, it would be inescapably clear that these five things could not come into being without some intervention from something more intelligent than the mouse. And when we see the complexity of all life, and if you sell your level, you go, well, I can explain this and do that, then go to the molecular level, and you'll find that, that to digest one small piece of protein, it has to go through this, and this picks it up and transports it over there, and that does this, it converts it, it joins with two other molecules, that goes over here, and I mean, there's like 18 steps just to eat a piece of bacon and make it fuel for your body at a cellular level from the molecular level. It, it's incredible. Guys, if you will study the universe, if you will study your body, if you will study sciences with an open mind, not wanting to see something from the very beginning, but with an open mind, which is what I had to do. I met Jesus before I read the Bible. If that makes any sense at all. I came to faith in Christ, and when I read the Bible, I said, hey, that's the guy I met. I know him. I recognize him. I was an atheist as far as everything goes, except for when I met my creator, and that kind of screwed up my atheism. But there's a lot of blanks to be filled in. And, and by nature, I'm a skeptic, and I'm curious, and I like the History Channel, not the Hallmark Channel. I, I like to learn. I like, I'm interested in stuff. So I read all the stuff I could on evolution. I read all the stuff on creationism, and I found that they both arrived at their conclusions by faith. But I have to say this. It takes a lot less faith to believe in God than it does to believe in Darwin's theories. That's my contention. And if you want to talk more about it, you buy the coffee. I will talk endlessly. All right, I love this stuff. It says this, now if you ignore God, when people ignore God, they just, they end up doing bad things. Because if you ignore God, you become God. If, you, if, you, if you're not under God, then, then what are you under? And it really is my desires, my plans, my thoughts, what I want to do. And uh, understand this, bad things that we do cause pain. So here's the brilliance of God. If there is no God, I don't want to serve God, I'm do my own thing. Often we don't say, so I'm going to love my neighbor. We say, I'm not going to love my neighbor. We don't say, I'm going to forgive my enemy. Why would I do that? I'm going to kill my enemy. I'm going to hate my enemy. I'm going to form, you know, opposition. So we can make ourselves miserable by doing the very things God tells us not to do. Can I get a witness? That pain then tells us that something is wrong. Isn't God good to allow us to do things that cause pain so that it'll tell us something's wrong and it'll tell us where it's located. I just feel empty. My heart is broken. I'm so mad all the time. I can't quit drinking. I, whatever it is. And we find ourselves helpless. And in that helpless state, we say, if there is a God, please help. How many of you guys know a lot of people get saved at rock bottom? There's a great old song that says, some people want to live within the sound of chapel bells, but I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. Because in, in jail, in prison, in the military, in combat, in divorce, in, in addiction, people are looking for answers. And God shows up and says, well, religion's a crutch. It's not a crutch. It's a stretcher. And I'm on it. 
And it's my faith in God. He carries me day after day after day. Well, that's just a crutch for weak people. But once you get through this hard time, you'll leave it. Not my experience. 30, what's it been now? 35 years sober this year because of the grace of God. He still carries me every day. Amen. Amen. So when people ignore God, they do bad things. Bad stuff happens. This is what it says in Romans chapter 1. It says, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. Good thing we don't see this around today, huh? They're full of envy, murder, strife, politics, I'm sorry, uh, deceit, malice. They're gossips, which I heard through the grapevine some of you are wrestling with, so knock it off. <laughs> Slanderers, God-haters, wow, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Now, you could say, well, come on, people are basically good. Nuh-uh. And I'll tell you this, I looked back just at, the, like, kind of, not my lifetime, but, but factual, I know, periods of history that are not long since forgotten. You know that 80 million people died in World War II? 80 million people. That's the entire attendance of our church times 8,000. 8,000 times we'd walk into a gas chamber. 8,000 times a bullet would hit us in the forehead. 8,000 times we'd get run over by a tank. 8,000 times a bomb would drop on our home as civilians and blow us up with our families. 8,000 times, I'm sorry, 80,000. 80,000 times, I don't know, who's an accountant? It's a big number. It's shocking. It would fill Michigan with blood up to, up to our necks. And every single person that, that started that war, continued that war, and the final solutions, guys, you, you think about it. Like Hiroitu, the, the, the emperor of Japan, thought he was God. So his, his whole thing was, let's attack everybody because, you know, we, we are destined. I am God, and I am destined to rule the earth. Hitler had similar notions. He actually used Darwin's theories of evolution to use as a reason for executing certain people by the millions because they were inferior breeding um, products, and so they should be eradicated from the gene pool of humanity as if they were some sort of lesser dog or lesser cow that should be eaten or murdered rather than propagate. You look at Stalin, 25 million of his own people, and he was a godless man who believed that he was as God and could do anything he wanted, murdering members of his own family, members of his own political party. Guys, as, as it goes on and on, Mussolini. Mussolini referred to priests as black germs to be cured. If you look at 80 million people, why did they die? Because they're arrogant, God-hating, insolent, gossip, on and on and on. Do you see what I'm saying? So Paul's saying in Romans chapter 1, you got to get this. Paul's saying in chapter 1, there are people out there, and man, they stink. Like, like they surely doth stinketh by now. They are hardcore stinkage. They are such rotten, lousy, awful, fearful, terrible, insecure, egotistical, arrogant, dangerous folk. And he gets all of his readers going, yeah, yeah, they're bad. But then we get to chapter 2 where he says, surely thou stinketh also. And, and where he does this, he says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point, not all points, but at whatever point you judge somebody, in a way that you're also guilty, thou stinketh also. And so he, he kind of has this reader going, yeah, yeah, those bad, yeah, those people that are sexually immoral, yeah, those God-hating, insolent, arrogant, I hate those people. And he gets to chapter two. And kind of, guys, let's just be honest, like anybody here want to walk on water and tell us how you achieve perfection? And he gets the reader going to go, yeah, yeah, and all of a sudden he drops a bomb right on their head. And they go, oh, I, I guess you're talking to me too. 
You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. By the time we get to chapter 3, his point is everybody stinks. Everybody doth stinketh by now. And he points it out to us in various scriptures. Uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. In other words, it doesn't matter how much you do the do's, how much you don't do the don'ts. As soon as you go through one stop sign, you've breached Romans 13. You've, you've, you've broken a law. And you can't say, well, I'll stop at every other stop sign for the rest of my life. It doesn't matter how many times you stop. It matters that you broke the law. How many stop signs do you have to stop at? How many red lights do you have to stop at before the cop goes, don't worry about it, you didn't really run through the red light? It, it, it doesn't matter. When you break the law, if you do the crime, you got to... All the old people that watch Beretta, thank you very much. Huggy Bear, there it was. Young people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's okay, neither do I. It's been a long time. It's been a long time, right? So why did Paul take three chapters to get us lost? Why did Paul say they're off? We go, yeah, they're bad. He goes, but you are too. Matter of fact, everybody is. Why does he take three chapters to get every reader? Now, they're in Rome. They're, they're surrounded by polytheism, the worship of many gods, and Zeus and Apollos and Hermes and blah, 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 right? And in the midst of all this, he goes, hey, listen, everybody's awful. The reason he does this, listen, because we are. Now, I know this is unpopular. No, no, I, I'm already dealing with my self-esteem. I was picked last in kickball, and it's been hard ever since. We give ribbons to everybody, no matter who wins. Listen, God doesn't give ribbons to everybody. God loves everybody, but the, when it's a sin, it's a sin. When it's righteous, it's righteous. It's binary. Nobody's kind of pregnant. Nobody's kind of in sin or kind of out of sin. Forgiven, unforgiven. It's binary. It's on, it's off. It's black, it's white. There's, no, there's nothing in between. Hear me. He gets us good and lost because we are, and he's exposing our hearts to it. And also, without the bad news of being lost, the gospel really isn't good news. When we talk to people and say, listen, God loves you, and he's got a wonderful plan for your life, that's true, right? But is that all the truth? Come on. Is, it, is that all the truth? Well, if God loves me, he has a wonderful plan for my life. I can't wait to wake up tomorrow and find that out. But let me tell you something. God has a way of getting us to listen to him. <laughs> back to the pain, back to our own will, back to decisions we make that hurt people we love, back to decisions we make that hurt ourselves. That pain tells us something wrong, and, and we, we bring that pain to God. God is there waiting for us as Savior. So here comes some good news. Romans chapter 3 says, but now, now you got to hear this. When he talks about law, he's talking about what God has revealed through Moses that is the right thing to do. Here's my heart. Here's the, the foreshadowing of the Savior, Jesus Christ, and the animal sacrifices done away with that when Jesus dies uh, and is resurrected from the dead. We don't need to kill animals anymore. The one has died for all, once for all. Uh, all of that's in there. God's heart is contained in there. I don't want you guys hating each other. Marriage is really important to me. Um, being a community is really important to me, so he teaches all these things. And what the, the miscommunication is, is they believe it. the closer we are to the law, the closer we are to God. So in their mind, what they, what they want to be is good or at least better than the people around them to have a righteousness that comes from self, also known as self-righteousness. Jesus comes and says, your righteousness is as filthy rags. So what we're going to deal with now is not a good person be, or a bad person becoming a good person. We're going to deal with a dead person becoming an alive person, born again. Are you guys still here? I'm talking fast, but I don't have much time. You guys doing good? Okay, invest your attention. Now look at this. Apart from the law, apart from the system Moses gave us, thou shalt, thou shalt not. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God. So what level are we talking about of righteousness? Is there any righteousness higher than God's righteousness? We're talking about the supreme level of righteousness. Now, apart from all the doing and don't doing, 
There's a, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets, they were talking about this whole time. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. Hear me. No matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are, if your faith is in anything less than Jesus Christ, you are not walking in the righteousness that God has for you. But if, when I get good enough, I'll ask God, no, no, it's when I get in shape enough, I'll go to the gym. One happens before the other. Behavior comes out of relationship, not out of religion. We can have a religion apart from Jesus Christ, as the Pharisees did, living utterly moral lives, yet their hearts so far from a Savior that they're utterly lost. Those who believe, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, God is not saying, and Paul is not saying here, that it doesn't matter if you kill your neighbor or you don't. Certainly it does. But he's going back to the root. If you guys want to live good, know the good one. You want to live righteous? Know the righteous one. You want to live holy? Know the holy one. But if you try to be good enough, some of us are working so hard for something, but it's all designed for us to work from something. We're working for someone. I want to make God happy. I got to do it. Oh, I blew it again every night. Our, our apology list. Oh, God, I'm sorry I said this. And I did that. I, I'm going to try again tomorrow, but you and I both, and I'll be back with my list tomorrow night as well. That, that's working for something. Working from something is I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. My trust is in him. I am walking on a tightrope, it's true, but there's a net in the form of his hand underneath me that if I should stumble the day, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I'm not trying to please God. I am pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. I'm not working for his pleasure. I am his pleasure through Jesus Christ. I get into the apple of God's eye, but Carl would hit me later on, so we won't do that. Chapter four, the good news is even better than what we just said. Here, look at this. However, to the one who does not work. Now here, Paul's reinforcing this thought that righteousness is through relationship, not through our works. Works come out of relationship. Relationship is not earned through our works. And so he says this. However, to the one who does not work, so their trust isn't in, I did and I didn't do. But the one who trusts, everybody says trust. Come on, say it again, trust. But the one who trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Let's break it down. There's some big words in there. Trust, faith, hear me. Relationship builds faith. When you sat in the chair today, you weren't like, I don't know, man. I sat in a chair to look just like this nine other times and it collapsed under my weight every time. How many of you guys know you wouldn't trust that? But when you sat down saying, of course it's gonna hold my weight. I've lost three pounds this year. Only 40 more to go. We're Americans, right? When you, when you sat down in that chair, you believed because it had been faithful, because it had sustained you, because it's always been there for you, and you sat down, you didn't give it a second thought. He's saying, when, when we trust God like we trust that chair, we won't sit, we'll stand. We'll trust. He talks about trust. He talks about justified. It's a word we don't use very often outside of a legal setting. But it says this, justified means, when you see justified, it's when we're placed before God just if I'd never sinned. Justified, never sinned. When you are justified before God, you're standing in the righteousness of Christ given to you as a gift, credited. So when he talks about to the one who doesn't work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, it is credited to him as righteousness. If you hear nothing I say for the rest of your life, you have to hear that. You hear what I'm saying? Your walk with God is not predicated on your religious and moral behaviors. It is predicated on your belief that God is bigger than your sin. And when you come into God's grace, when you come into God's peace, when you come into God's rest, from that place you will see a difference. A child falls down 
and believes that a parent will be there to pick him up. An adult falls down and has to brush himself off and be a real man. Why? Because a child believes that, that someone is going to be there. That love. They cry so that someone will help. An adult doesn't cry unless they cry alone most of the time. Listen, children enter the kingdom before their parents do. More easily is what I'm saying. Because for them, it's, of course there's a God. Of course God loves me. Of course if he forgives me, I am forgiven. We have to come back to a childlike faith. Let us not tell our children to grow up to be like us in faith. Let us grow up to be like our children in faith. They have something. It's automatic. It's, well, this happened and that happened. I've got this record. I met this person. I knew this guy. And what about this? And Jim Jones and, you know, what, and all this religion. Listen, it's you and God and nothing else matters. Do you trust him today with your soul? If you do, according to Paul, you are justified by that faith. Just if I had never sinned by that faith in Jesus who removes the stains, who removes the unrighteousness. When we're inside of him, every blessing that Christ has, we have in Christ. And, and this is so weird, but it's, it's the picture the scriptures draw, so I'm just going to say it. If Jesus were standing here, and, and I literally walked up and I tucked myself inside of him, and now I'm inside of Jesus, when God looks in my direction, who does he see? He sees Jesus. Is Jesus in right standing with God? Is Jesus the beloved child of the Father? Does Jesus walk in the authority of the Holy Spirit, stand on the word? Is Jesus right with God? Okay, here's what we have to understand. When I'm in Christ, although God knows who I am and where I am, he chooses to see me through Jesus. When he sees Jim Wiegand, he sees Jesus Christ first. Wow. Because I'm the insolent, God-hating, immoral, atheist kid living in a car, doing drugs. Every time the phone rings, I live in fear because I'm doing all this stuff and I'm in pain. But at a concert, when I'm a teenager, suddenly, without knowing the theology of it, I'm in Christ and the peace of Christ consumes me. The spirit of Christ fills me. The word of Christ enlivens me. And the authority of Christ motivates me to move into the world because I am in Christ and Christ is in me and we are in the Father and ain't nothing going to stop us now, baby. Are you with me today? Do you hear what I'm saying? So it's like, well, I hope that sometimes he'll put his hand on me. I hope he touches me. I hope he whispers. I don't deserve it. Pathetic. A wretch like me. I'm sorry, I have a hard time believing somebody's in Christ and the best they can hope for is a, is a whisper. Stand in Christ. How many of you guys trust God's good enough to let you stand in Christ? Why did Christ come? So we could stand in Christ. Why did Christ come? So he could see us in Christ. What is the goal? What is the key? Listen, when I'm in Christ, you know what I don't want? I don't want sin. I stood at altars weeping as the Spirit of God washed over me and I wasn't thinking about another cookie. I wasn't thinking about another beer. I wasn't thinking about another woman. I wasn't thinking about anything else but Jesus. I was consumed by Jesus, the all-consuming fire. And when you come out from that altar, your, your eyes are swollen and there's snot all over your shirt and you're just bulletproof because you know you're in Christ. You understand what I'm saying? That shouldn't be a one-time experience. We should live in Christ by the Spirit of God, standing on the Word of God. Listen, Jesus can go anywhere he wants to go, even Tanzania, even the mean streets of Fenton. Amen. Romans chapter 5, he says, not only do we get to stand in him, now we have peace. Now, if your last name's Smith, your kid has a lack of peace right now, and you need to go get your kid. But Romans 5 says, we have peace with God. Look at this beautiful verse. Therefore, since we've been justified, justified never sinned, through this trust in Jesus, we have peace. Everybody take a deep breath and say peace. Take another deep breath. Say peace with God. 
How do we do this? Again, through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not me working and earning it. It's that he's worked and earned it, and he lets me hide inside of him, empowered inside of him. I, I don't have a lot of time, guys, so let me say this to you. It gets even better than this. You guys believe it gets better than this? Romans chapter 8, welcome to the family of God. It's not, it's not just I'm in right standing, gee, I hope I don't mess up before I die. Literally, there's this, there's this family. How many times, I'm just curious, how, how many guys have children? How many guys have children that are like teenagers? Can I see your hands? Those are all prayer requests for everybody. Just I'll give an altar call later on. Right? Amen. <laughs> Listen, um, how many times does your teenage child, let's just take the cleanliness of the rooms, because we know that all 16-year-olds are, are just meticulous about cleanliness and doing laundry every day and not causing work for their mother mothers or their fathers. So how, how, many, how, many, how many, like, pairs of socks, pants, shirts, stuff, would you find on the floor before you'd say, that's it, I'm kicking you out of my family? I'm just, what's the limit to that? Anybody know? Is it five? Is it ten? Three? <laughs> is it a dumb question? Be because through relationship, their performance, hear me, their performance is important to you, yes? But, but there's something deeper than their performance that keeps the relationship intact. We have peace with God. And I, I, I wish I could just breathe on you and say, peace. So many of us wrestle for what we have. The devil lies to us. Condemnation speaks to us. We'll get that in just a moment. You're not what you, I know what you did. I, I'm going to tell God on you. Oh, God's ashamed of you. Well, you've asked forgiveness for this more than once. So you're kind of forgiven, but you're on double secret Holy Ghost probation. One more slip up and the hammer of God, bam, on your head. And you'll deserve it because you're just this close to purgatory or whatever places we invent. That God wants to torture us. Listen to me, please. Do you have peace with God? If you don't, you've been robbed from something the Prince of Peace has for you. And you need to take it back. Am I righteous? Is Jim Wigan righteous? Long as I'm in Christ, you bet your bippy. I step out of Christ? No. My goal is not to be better. Hear me. My goal is to stay in Christ. Because in Christ I have peace. But what about the storm? What about the trials? What about, what they, what about social media? What about the politics? What about the, in Christ there is no social media. Hallelujah. <laughs> because again, there's no condemnation. So there's no, you, get, you get the point. Look at this. Romans chapter 8. Um, therefore, I may know what therefore is therefore. It, it connects the last thought, Romans chapter 7, and all the previous thoughts to this thought. We've, everything Paul has said has led us to this moment. Therefore, there is now. Everybody say now. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Christ, what Jesus did, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. In the, there's some added words there that we did in the translation that I think is appropriate, but it actually says, because the law of the Spirit of life. The law, how many of you guys know, there's a law that if we break it, that thou shalt and thou shalt not, we die. The wage of sin is... But there's a second part of Romans 6.23. The gift of God is eternal life. So when I'm in Christ, is Christ dead? Is Christ sick? Is Christ anxious? Is Christ depressed? Is, listen, I have to find myself. The harder life gets, the more I have to stay in Christ. I don't step out of Christ to deal with it and come back on Sunday. I got to stay in Christ. And there's times, I'm not kidding you, there's times it's not like, oh, God, I'm just, I'm trying. Actually, you rest in Christ. I'm trying to rest in Christ. I'm trying so hard to have peace. But there's that place where you just kind of, it's almost like you just let go and say, 
But you got this, don't you? And that, that moment from, I'm in charge, I'm God, I'm in trouble, to your God, you're in charge, and I'm not in trouble, what naturally comes is peace. And therefore now, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But I know what you did, and you deserve death. Yeah, and Jesus died that death for us, defeated death, hell, and the grave. He arose from the dead. We're inside of a living Savior, not a dead icon. If he defeated death, hell, and the grave, and we're in him, guess what? We get to defeat death, hell, and the grave too. Condemnation is Satan's arrow, and we have this shield called faith that extinguishes it. It hits it. It doesn't hit us. Why? Because when we trust God is bigger than our sin, we won't live in condemnation anymore. But I know what you did, and they know what you did, and if they ever found out what you did, that's not God. The devil wants to bring up your past. My advice to you is bring up his future and move on. Amen. Thanks, Carmen. That was a good line. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, by my sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness um, of sinful nature. He looked like us, ate like us, got tired like us. To be a sin offering, back to the Old Testament language. And so he condemned sin. It's condemned, it's judged, it's imprisoned sin in your life. It's condemned, imprisoned, judged, paid for, and it's paid for in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who don't live according to the flesh, the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. And, and I, if it's possible, piano girl, join me. It gets even better than this. <laughs> if you even go as far, look at this. The spirit, everybody say spirit. If you don't know the Holy Spirit, say, aren't you supposed to say if you don't know God, you don't know Jesus? No. If you don't know the Holy Spirit, let me, let me tell you something. It is impossible to live the Christian life outside of knowing the Holy Spirit. Even though you might know Christ, and, and I want to say this very carefully because the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, the triune, it's one, he's one, but, but there's, there's, they don't all have the same function. The Holy Spirit in you is your peace. The Holy Spirit through you is your power. Um, the, the authority of the Holy Spirit moving through you is where the, the miracles and the signs and the wonders, hearing the voice of God, in other words, hearing the voice of the Spirit telling you what to do. You, you cannot be obedient until you know what to do and then do it. The Holy Spirit tells you what the Father wants you to do and then gives you the power to do it. So what I'm saying is that, yes, you can be saved without this, having this deep relationship. Yes, you can do good things. Yeah, yeah, because Jesus is that good. But Jesus said, I'm sending you someone else. We should be expecting someone else besides just Jesus. Even though the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Father are one, he said, I'm one person in the flesh, I'm ascending, and you want me to, because when I'm gone, I'll send someone everywhere. His name is the Holy Spirit, and you need to embrace everything that it has for you. It gets even better. The Spirit you received doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption. He's the one who calls you. He's the one who led you. He's the one that told you God was good enough. You could approach him. He's the one that gave you the ability to say, I think what Jim's saying is true. I think what God's saying is, is what I'm going to believe. He, he's the one convincing your heart. And, and that whatever you feel, you know, God, you're feeling his spirit. He brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Papa, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Isn't that nice? from orphans to heirs, from slaves to sons. But it gets even better than that, believe it or not. Now, if we're children, Paul goes on, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, for they're in the bad times, so we also may share in the times that are glorious. Let's add this all up. It's, it's pretty simple, I think. 
Do you agree, yes or no, true or false, there are some people in this world because they're godless, they stink. They're dangerous, evil people. Yes or no? Okay. But have you ever done anything that, that you would judge them and not and kind of say, well, I'm innocent because I stopped at 10 other stop signs. They run all of them. Thinking that by obeying 10 other stop signs, it, it somehow washes away the one that we ran. And so if we judge them at any level, you have to understand that, that it's not just Mussolini. It's not just Hitler, Stalin, Nero Ito. It's Jim. It's Bob. It's Fred. It's Frank. It's Betty. It's Wilma. It's Pebbles. It's Bam Bam. We, we've all sinned. It's not just them. It's not just me. It's, it's all of us. Welcome to the human race. We stink. But how many guys are glad God loves stinkers? You love your kids when they're stinkers, don't you? Love them enough to give them a decent spanking and tell them not to behave that way. Create pain so they, they know, you know, through your words, through a timeout, through, I, you can't say spanking anymore because you go to jail, but spanking. Not beating, but spanking. Training your children the way they should go so when they're old, they don't depart from it. Listen to me. You, you love them enough to tell them when they're wrong, correct them, provide enough painful stimuli that the next time they think about playing in the freeway, they also remember the last time they did, they couldn't play video games for 30 minutes. Terrible pain we inflict on our children, right? Those people stink. So do I. Everybody stinks. And Jesus died for stinky people. When we trust him, we are forgiven and we're justified before God. Man, and, and we're not just saved. Come on, we're not just saved. We're sons. We're daughters. And we're not just sons and daughters. We're heirs. We have an inheritance. Something we didn't earn that is ours today. And because of all those things, we now have a mission. And we are on this mission to love God, love people, and love to serve. To be a church for people that are unchurched and dechurched. A church. This is, it's about us. It's about what God's doing among us. But we're a church that loves it when people walk through our doors that are broken, hurt, lost. Unchurched, dechurched people. We believe that God's desire, as he will do for us and has done for us, he wants to heal broken hearts. He wants to fill empty hearts with the Spirit. And then, like we've already experienced this morning, he wants us to go. Across the ocean, across the street, it doesn't matter. But in obedience, whether it's Tanzania or, or the mean streets of Argentine. I'm sorry, the mean street of Argentine. Byron, the mean two-track dirt trail of Byron. It doesn't matter. We walk in obedience because we are excited about what God has done for us and what God can do for others. Do you see there's a meaning to this life that's greater than he who dies with the most toys wins? Stand your feet, please, all over this room. I've taken way too much time. How do you teach 16 chapters of Romans or 18 chapters of Romans? You just can't. But I, I just wanted to, I, wanna, I want you to see here, guys, God has a plan to redeem you, to empower you, to send you, to love you. It's good stuff. Don't worry about being good enough. He's good enough for both of you. Father, I pray today we would recognize that you're good enough for all of us. When you died, you died for us. When you rose from the dead, you rose from the dead, having defeated everything that defeated us, including death. And now there's an invitation. Come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, God, I, I need saving. Not, not for my sins so much at this moment, but I, I, need, I need my mind to be saved more than it is. I need my heart to be mended because it's broken in places still, God. I, I, I need to see the kingdom, not just the temporary. God, I, I just pray, we just pray, God, there's another level in you and there always will be. Take us to that next level. Today, Father, I pray if anybody is here and they don't have peace with God, they're walking right now and there's not peace with God, 
I pray that even now, God, they would put their faith in you through Jesus Christ, hide themselves in Christ. And now they would be revealed to this creation as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If we step outside Jesus, you see what we are. But if we step inside Jesus as you would call us to do so, you see Jesus. Let us stay in Christ. Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. If they're not right with God, there's not peace between you and God. There's only one step, and that's in Christ. God, I, I step into Christ. I trust, I believe, I rely upon, I choose, I prefer Christ. He's not my plan B. He's not my, my frosting on my cake. He's the cake. He's plan A. He's everything. Step into Christ by faith right now. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, died on a cross, defeated death, hell, and the grave, that you would stand at this moment, right here, right now in him. I stand in Christ. And when you stand in Christ, how do I know I'm there? Because his spirit will testify with your spirit that you're his kids. Because the peace of God will come upon you. Maybe it doesn't happen in 10 seconds. Go take a 10-hour walk. But understand, not everything is going to fit inside of Jesus. You're going to leave some stuff behind. And I have never given up anything for God that I didn't get a thousand times more when I did. When I gave up something for Jesus, I gave up drinking. What I was looking for as a counterfeit at the bottom of every bottle I found in Jesus. I was, I was wanting to be spirit-filled, the distilled spirit. I got the non-distilled spirit, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit living inside of me. Father, I pray for every heart and mind. As the altar team comes forward, I pray that today, God, if we're far from you, one step in Christ, one step away, let us take that one step. If there's any prayers that haven't been answered, God, I pray that through this altar team today, you would meet the needs. Altar team, come forward. Pray. We believe you, God. We trust you for everything and with everything we have and we are. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... I'm going to head back and hang out in the guest room. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'd love to meet you. Get your kids. Can you guys do me a favor? We had a long, exhausting week. Would you go home and take a nap today? How many guys will promise me you'll you'll get some rest this weekend? Because Monday's on its way. Last I heard, it's going to be here like sometime tomorrow. Live long. If you need prayer, come forward.